Michelle Visage. I say we because... We are collective. (laughs) We are collective and we have a very special show. Today we've got one of my children. Yes! I don't know how many... All my children. You have a lot of children. I feel like Agnes Nixon. Yes. Your womb has been used and abused. It has been used up. And I have a feeling I'm... I'm going to have more children. You are. Multiple births. Yes. And they're all my favorite children. Today, we have uh, Jinx Monsoon is here. Hi. And I know that she won season five because I knew that you were going to get on my case if I forgot. (laughs) What? What season it was? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, We would have. I can't. Because I can't remember. I can't remember anything past last week. And you know what? And you're the better for it. You know, blessed are those who, this is a Nietzsche thing, I can't remember. Blessed are those who Forget our blunders. Who do you know this? You and let no man this. put us Nietzsche. under. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is that a designer? No, just kidding. Just that would be hard. Do you think of yourself yeah. as like a brood mother now? Like what is a brood mother? Well, kind of like an ant colony, the queen who. Just oh yes, sits I do. A herd mother. I do. Yeah. I do. I've always thought of myself as that way. <laughs> do you feel like you? Do you feel like one of my children? I absolutely feel like one of your children. Yeah. Um, like a like an adopted, I don't know, a late in life adoption. <laughs> <laughs> you adopted Jinx when she was older. Yes. Well, that's we definitely. Right. I mean, without even talking about it, we definitely do act like a sisterhood. Yeah. And I mean, like um, some of the relationships I've developed because of Drag Race are just as important and just as like meaningful to me as people I've known for like ten years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, like I've only known Alaska since season five, but we're extremely close, and I I count on that relationship. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's something I call Drag Race. It's a little bit like um, our nom, like it it, uh-huh. <laughs> it bonds us together in a way that only. We can understand. <laughs> well, you and Alaska were in season five together. You won the crown. Alaska mm-hmm. won the crown later. But um, Alaska wasn't too happy when you won the crown. <laughs> <laughs> Did word get around? Uh, it was quite a public display. It was, um, well, no, Alaska and I, it was funny because from the beginning, when Alaska and I were realizing we were going to be kind of neck and neck towards the end, um, she was very honest with me and she said, I'm a very sore loser and I really wanted this, but I'm feeling like you're going to win. So I want you to know every time I throw a temper tantrum, it's just me working through it and it has nothing to do with you. Yeah. And one night, the night that I was crowned, she threw a temper tantrum in, I mean, that's the only word for it. It was uh-huh. like On a two year old, like stomping around. Yeah. And, and well, before the stage. <laughs> it's exactly what happened. And her mom was chasing after her saying like, Listen, calm down, Alaska, calm down. I was there. They were both annihilated, her and her mother. And the best part was each girl, I was hosting, it was in New York. Mm-hmm. Each girl was to do one number, right? And then they... You know, uh, after the crowning, they all came on. They did a number. Mm-hmm. Alaska, then, she does her number. And I was like, okay, that's it. To the DJ who happened to be Mimi. Mimi. <laughs> so then Alaska turns around and like a monster came out. And she was like, push, play. And, and does, I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, Mimi. Mimi's like. And then does Fuck. don't cry out loud. Yeah. Flops <laughs> herself so on the uh-huh. ground uh-huh. after singing don't cry out in her uh, hefty bags. Uh-huh. And she's crying and flailing and angry. <laughs> and then her mother, who had some to drink, comes on stage and is trying to pull her off by her feet. Uh-huh. And she's, she's got grabbing her nails digging into the, the stage. But it was, it was comedy, though, it right? Was abs- well, I mean, it was comedy. There was truth in it, but it was comedy. It yes. was a wonderful spectacle. 
circle. Yeah. <laughs> and it actually was almost impossible for me to top that. Here I am getting crowned. <laughs> and you're like, what the hell? <laughs> well, now how do I top that? And she was lip syncing the song? No, she, no, sang, she sang it live. And it's one of her favorite songs to sing, and it was very poignant for the situation, too. Um, yeah. So she had it prepared just yeah. in case. And well, I think yes. the whole thing was prepared because she told me earlier in the day to be ready for a temper tantrum <laughs> and that it wasn't going to be about me. And it, before we even made it to the stage, she's doing circles in the um, in the out hotel um, courtyard. You know, literally, there's just a flock of people following her around in a circle trying to calm her down, mm-hmm. trying to keep the situation under wraps. And finally, she goes, someone open my hotel room. Why isn't my door open? I need to get the hell out of here. And I'm standing. Unfortunately, I'm standing right next to her door. And I'm like, oh, God, I'm like right in the war path. And she goes past me as her assistant opens her door. And the last thing she does before she goes into her room is turn to me, winks and sticks her tongue out, you Uh know, like an uh emoji. Uh And it was like her moment of saying, like, don't worry, this isn't about you. And where was Roxy during all this? Roxy was just sitting politely, just sitting there with her hands folded with a smile on her face. She had a great time that night. (laughs) Right, because Roxy Andrews was the third girl on that thing. Now, you you mentioned uh, sort of the monster coming out. When people become famous, it's like being on drugs or alcohol. It's uh, sometimes people are mean drunks. Sometimes <laughs> most uh, people are fun drunks. What kind of a fame drunk are you, or um, did you become? Well, I I've had. I mean, I always think back to our Tic Tac lunch when you when you warned me quite bluntly um, that there's a dark side to all of this, and I definitely have tiptoed into the dark side. You know, I've been I've had my moments of being totally selfish. I've had my moments of like. Being like, poor me, no one knows how hard it is to be famous, you know? <laughs> no one knows what it's like to be so well-loved, you know? <laughs> um, so, but I kind of had to, I had to pull myself back into the light and kind of realize, at the end of the day, I'm so lucky that I get to do this and that this is my job, rather than a multitude of things I could have been doing instead. Um, but I think uh, the kind of famous person I am is one that is way too obsessed with uh, I'm like a Joan Crawford I love to present like I'm Betty Davis but I'm more like Joan Crawford because there's a lot of self-criticism and there's a lot of like I have to present this image of this like perfect idea of what people want me to be but I'm trying to just kind of sit back and enjoy the ride more these days and not like worry so much about like You know, camera left. You smile at this point. You know, shake all the hands in a specific way. You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, Michelle tours with me, and we're both um, hypercritical Virgos. Yeah. So <laughs> we yeah. kind of just sit there and go back and forth, um, rationalizing. <laughs> yes, but business. you've grown a, a lot since I remember. Let's go beyond the first day where I asked Rue if you were wearing a prosthetic nose <laughs> because. <laughs> I truly thought you were like it was the way you had painted your face yeah, and, and Rue was explaining that to me. That wasn't even meant to be shady. That was really an honest thing. And how you you listened. I think you're the shining example of listening to criticism mm-hmm. and putting it into play, not second guessing it, not even doubting it, just doing what we asked for. And obviously the outcome was amazing. But um seeing the journey was probably the most rewarding thing. And mm-hmm. even to where you are today and and um, the struggles that you've gone through to where you are today, but still 
you're still so loved and you're still at the top of your game and you're still creating more and more. Well, I mean, for me, it's really easy to take criticism about Jinx because, I mean, I learned in acting school that the work has to be the work and you have to separate the work from your ego and you have to be able to take the critiques and you have to be able to, like, um, to listen to people, like, kind of dog on your work so that you can make it better. Um, for me, the the real pain came out of, like, Drag Race, you don't just meet Jinx, you also meet Jarek. Now, Jarek has always been, you know, private, and I've always been able to keep a certain air of anonymity because um, I was the kind of queen who got into drag at home, stayed in drag all night long, and didn't get out of drag until I got back home. So no one ever saw Jarek. It was either Jinx or it was Jarek, but the two never met. Mm-hmm. Drag Race blended the two together. And I feel like it was, I wasn't prepared for people to start criticizing the artist behind the character. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like I was fully ready for the criticism of the character. But when people started criticizing the artist, that's when it hit me a little harder. But now I have to just think of like, um, Jarek is also a character now. I mean, now there's private Jarek and now there's public Jarek. So I kind of had to just realize, you know, like, the version of me they met on TV and the version of me they see now, whether I'm in drag or not in drag, that's also a presentation and that's also a character. So if people are going to come for Jarek, I have to also think about it like that's just part of the work. And yes. I have to be able to take the criticism. Did you have to deal with that? The Rue in and, in and out of drag? Uh, you know what? I, I've always thought of it all as drag. I thought even me... Out of drag, I think of that being in drag at the same time. So, yes. and people have always criticized me, <laughs> right. always. So, I, I was always felt. used to it. But it's different on a reality show, especially yes. because it's so fast. Yeah. Now, during the process of doing this show, Jinx, at what at what point did you think to yourself, you know, I may just win this thing? It wasn't in. I mean, because I really wanted to keep my my head in the game, and I really wanted to think about each challenge individually rather than trying to project ahead to the end. But it wasn't until it was our top five and we had to do the makeover challenge with our veterans. Uh And something about Dave telling me that I had to win it for him, that was the first time where I was like, you know what? There's no reason why I can't win this thing. Yeah, yeah. And it was kind of like I went into it thinking like if I make it to top five, that's going to be so lucky for me and I'm going to be so happy and grateful. Then I made it to top five and then I was like, well, now what? I guess win. (laughs) 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 That was really my mentality about it. And and then, of course, the next episode was my big downfall, the the candy ball. (laughs) But that you had to, that was the Mambo lip sync with Detox, wasn't it? And that was my chance to show Roxy who thought, how can you be a drag queen if you can't lip sync? Right, right. <laughs> well, we know how that went, yeah. don't we, Jay? And uh, D- Dave, the, your, the makeover, that was the guy who killed Judy Garland. Yes. The guy who killed Judy Garland. <laughs> he has gone on to do some amazing oh. things. I mean, first of all, he heckled Ben de la Creme yes. in yes. season yes. six. Right. In the comedy <laughs> challenge. Yes. And I remember when that episode aired, um, Ben texts me and goes, wait until you see the episode tonight. For whatever reason, your veteran heckled me the whole time. <laughs> Then 
he went on to go. He's uh, he was on Wheel of Fortune. What? Yeah, he was on Wheel of Fortune. Um, the real the, show, not yes, our version of it. Yes. <laughs> the um, real show. Yeah, one of the producers from Drag Race, Stephen Korf, texts me one night and says, "Did you see your vet on Wheel of Fortune?" Oh. And he was the big time loser that night. But uh, he's getting out there and he's yeah. living his life, and God that's bless. what's so amazing. That's crazy. <laughs> now you mentioned Ben de la Creme, another queen who, who from Seattle yeah. who came mm-hmm. after you, and then it was Robbie Turner. Yeah. Uh, who also came from Seattle, who's on our show. Who, by the way, sidebar, has upped her game. I don't know what. I didn't saw it, a picture. Isn't it like overnight all like of a sudden? Like overnight. <laughs> it was still Krusty Robbie, who I love. Uh-huh. And then the next day it was like, who the fuck is that? Yes. And where the yeah. fuck has she been hiding? I know. I saw a picture Did recently. you see that yes, shit? Yes, I did. I was like, wait a minute. You know, I, I mean, like, because... Unfortunately, Robbie and I haven't gotten to hang out much. We both have really conflicting schedules, so we don't see each other a lot. But you were all friends. We were all, the three of us were, it was actually, there were four queens in Seattle, um, the three of us and a queen named Mama Tits. Mm -hmm. And we called ourselves the Quadrifecta because we were all kind of dominating different scenes in Uh the Seattle drag scene. Um, And we always had each other's backs. And I think what happened is, because I remember seeing a picture where some um, new baby drag queen, Twinkie boy who's great at makeup, did Robbie's makeup for her that night. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's all it takes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. is one person doing your face and you're like, oh, wait a second. Yeah. Uh-huh. I could have been looking like this the whole time. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh. That's definitely happened for me a few times. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, of course, I know Mama Tits. Mama Tits was the one, there was a viral video of her going up to a protester yeah yes. during yeah. gay pride yes yeah um she's i mean she's amazing she she's a huge pillar of our community no mama mama's just uh, she's very outspoken uh she's had a hell of a life she's lived a lot of a life and um she used to be a sister of perpetual indulgence. Uh-huh. Um, sister Stella Standing was her name, uh-huh. and um, then she started doing um, Mama Tits slash Busty McGee. She's had a <laughs> lot of names. <laughs> I uh, love all those names. I love that. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, funny story, which actually will be addressed in um, my documentary that plays on Logo on the Drag 13th. Becomes Him. Yeah, April 13th, Drag Becomes Him. Okay. Drag, wait, um, Drag Becomes what? Drag Becomes Him. Drag <laughs> Becomes Him. Yeah. This is a documentary that will be showing on Logo. Yeah, okay. April 13th at 8 p.m. Um which uh, will be way after this airs. Yeah, this will air then, but I just want to get the name right. Yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, uh, <laughs> um, Mama Tits was working at a celebrity impersonation show in Seattle, and she was the host. Mm-hmm. And they had me guest star one night. And Mama Tits um, is telling the show director just up and down, you have to hire Jinx. You have to make her part of our show. What she didn't know is that they wanted to make me the new host. So Mama Tits oh. pushed for me oh my goodness. to take over her job without, without knowing. Without knowing. Yeah. 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 But then she went on to just become in charge of her own career and has done amazing so things So did since. you take the job away from her? Well, it was kind of like when I found out they wanted to hire me as the host, she, of course, you know, um, like a very gracious older drag queen to a younger drag queen, sat me down and said, I don't blame you. I want you to take it. It's a great opportunity for you. Here's what to watch out for. Wow. That's very kind. And it is. We, it is. It is yeah. very kind. Now we've, got, we've got Jinx Monsoon here. Lots of stories. We're going to take a break. We'll be right back.
Michelle Visage, girl, Squarespace is doing it. Preach. They are taking it to the next level. If you want a website, you've got to go to Squarespace, girl. And you got to make it easy. Why are you y'all doing backflips? You know what I'm saying? You don't got to be doing a floor routine. It's the 21st century, girl. Yes, it's so easy, you y'all. You have got to go to squarespace.com and do that um, uh, slash rue. Get that offer, offer code. code. Yes. Because everybody needs a website. You can make a gorgeous website in minutes using their beautiful templates. They have them all laid out for you. And their minimalistic, or minimalistic, wrong, simplistic, okay. drag and drop platform, which we love. I'll buy a minimalistic too. Uh, and for me, minimalistic is better for a website. I think so too, because you know what? It makes it easy to read. You don't get all this navigate. Michigas, yes. you know, all this craziness. That's just my personal taste. But whatever your taste is, you could do whatever you want because you are on Squarespace. You can fancy re- her up. You can do whatever you oh, want. Oh, you can fancy her These down. Are not slave days. No. You don't have to do whatever people say you need to this be doing. This is not Amistad. This is not Amistad. No. This is Squarespace, girl. <laughs> Go to Squarespace and they will hook you up. 10% off of the plan with that offer code RU. That's squarespace.com. Offer code RU. Michelle, you know, I'm, I've been staying in a hotel while we film and I don't have my squatty potty with me. You didn't bring it with you? I didn't. I have it at the house and I'm, I'm, you know what? It's just not the same without it. Do you have a seven inch or do you have a nine inch? Wait, I thought you'd never ask. <laughs> Well, I've never measured. I think you know, I have these long legs. That's what I mean. Like, I think a nine inch would work. <laughs> <laughs> well, I never turn one down. I'll tell you me that either, much. Normally, but it's too big for me. Do you? It's, it's too big it's for you. Too really? big for me because like my knees go up yeah. way too high. Because even though my legs are long for my body, I'm still five right, four. Right. So I need the seven inch. It's right. Perfect fit. Do you bring yours here to the studio? Um, I don't bring mine here to the studio. Do you travel with yours? I do travel with it normally. I uh-huh. told you about my friend Anna who dragged it through Heathrow Airport oh, and my. used it in the bathroom. You guys, modern toilets are terrible for our colon. Squatty Potty offers the ultimate and complete elimination. I heard that. Uh, We do a lot of eliminating places. We certainly do. But this is really the important place to do it. The science is simple. Squatting at the toilet unkinks the colon, allowing your body to shed those unwanted waste things that you got to get out of your body. Squatty Potty offers multiple toilet stool designs. Why do they have to say stool? I don't know. But they know. are. I guess they're stools to put your feet on. I guess it is a, a, a you know stool. Root. They're stools for your stool. It's a stool for your stool. I just got it. There okay. To make your porcelain throne fit for any king or queen. Hey. Hey, queen. Join the movement by visiting squattypotty.com slash rue and receive a free bottle a fruity booty. Oh, you had me at fruity. Fruity booty on top of it. And uh, that's with the purchase of $20 or more. Remember, a happy colon is a happy life. We love you, Squatty Potty. We are back with Jinx Monsoon. Do you still live in Seattle? I do. I still live in the same apartment. Um, really? Why? I, I just... <laughs> I love that. Not a read. Not no, I know. I just said yeah. it funny. I mean, I, I'm just really comfortable where I am. And I spend so much time on the road. It's kind of like... I want to go back to somewhere that's familiar and sure. super comfortable when I have like a couple weeks off, you know. Um, we used to, it used to be me and Kenny, who's my best friend and tour manager, and then Major Scales, who's my music partner. A major just moved out and moved in with his boyfriend. So we live in the same apartment, but now we have, well, now you have more actual space. living space. Yeah. yeah, and we've got two walk-in closets that are pretty much full of drag. Yeah. <laughs> and is it, is it inexpensive to live in Seattle? It is. The prices are 
um, hiking now. Gentrification, yeah. especially in the area that I live in, is a real thing. Is that the funky area where all the artists yeah, live? Yeah, it's Capitol Cap- Hill. Capitol Hill is the queer neighborhood, but the queers are now getting priced out of our neighborhood because mm-hmm. oh, no. the city is catering to the tech industry. Sure. So all the bridge and tunnel Tri-Cities people are now moving to Seattle to work their tech jobs and live in these high-rise condos, which have replaced the old historic buildings. Did sure. you get my Did you get Your my yes, yes, yes. Fantastic. <laughs> Uh, that, that happens in all the cities. I understand. I don't understand why um, there isn't a consortium of young people who say, "You know what? We've decided we're going to make Des Moines the next hotspot." <laughs> yes. Or go to some place where the where it's very cheap and that, or maybe sunny. Yeah. And and create a scene. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, I, this has happened twice in Seattle that the the gay neighborhood has migrated. It used to be in the um, downtown. Um, kind of like the dirty, seedy part of downtown, Mm -hmm. and then they gentrified that. So then we moved to Capitol Hill. Then now they're gentrifying Capitol Hill, so now we're kind of shifting to First Hill, and soon we're going to be shifting. We'll probably just take over the International District. But that's what happens. I predict predict Lauren Hill will be the next (laughs) Yes, yes. Yes. I don't understand why. I do understand why, but what happens is the gays come in, they clean up a really otherwise shitty neighborhood, Mm -hmm. they make it funky, they make it trendy, they make it hip, and then all of a sudden... You know, I want to live there, Muffy, and me yeah. too, yeah, yeah. Chip. But that's the natural order. You know, I told you this story when I went to uh, Greece last year, and I saw that nothing had changed. Nothing had changed. And that's why they're in the economic situation they're in, is because that, and I, I vowed, because it doesn't change, but I vowed at that moment that I will never complain about how New York changes over mm-hmm. and flips over so much, because you realize that's a big mistake. You want things to move yeah, and right. change. You want to be able to, you know, push. I agree with that, but I feel like cleaning out an entire <clears throat> neighborhood of the people who founded it, I feel like it should be able to stay there and welcome yeah. to change. Yeah. I mean, well, it would be great. And, and But it's also, I mean, like they, they move into the neighborhood because they like the funkiness of it. And then uh-huh. they systematically eradicate yeah. the funkiness. Yeah, that's like, right. They replace that's... it with trendy cupcake shops and microbreweries and stuff. And right. it's like, we already had those, yeah. but they were more authentic when we were doing it. Right. Sure. Right. Yeah. Well, I remember uh, when, uh, in, in 95 when Giuliani became mayor, uh, he, changed, he in, in, inflicted, that's, that's the wrong word, but he, uh, in, he blanked all of these old cabaret laws that were always on the books, but nobody enforced them. <laughs> and so, uh, and he enforced them, so it changed the texture of New York nightlife, and it was pretty much over. So um, initially, you know, us old dinosaurs wanted to fight and, and make way for the young kids. They are not going to have a chance to do what we had. It's we like, wanted the Koch days yeah, back yeah, then. Yeah, give me, yeah. Put me in a sling and yeah. put a drink in my mouth. <laughs> um, <laughs> Actually, it wouldn't be a drink, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Something else, baby. But, you know, then you realize, you know what? The young people are really on their own. They are. Mm -hmm. They really have to fight for it. I just had a conversation with a young kid a minute ago trying to convince her that what to look forward to. But it's like, oh, there's no way for me to do that. Um, she's got to learn on her own. Yeah. And she's and you and that's how you are able to own it. Yeah. You can't appreciate something unless it goes away. No, because we were talking about that. Uh, somebody giving you advice or saying, yeah. you know, t- telling somebody who's very worldly and very authentic words coming because you lived it. But if you were to tell me that at 15, 16 years old, you know, would you be able to hear it? Right. Yeah, because you have to want 
to be filled with knowledge. Right. <laughs> you yes. Have to want to and be at 15, up. there's only yeah. a few things yeah. I could think of getting filled with. <laughs> yeah. Now, Jinx Monsoon, now, if someone were going, someone were going into RuPaul's Drag Race, knowing what you know about the process, mm-hmm. what would you tell them? How would you advise them of what to look out for, how to navigate your feelings? And you had a very famous uh, b- line and philosophy is water off a dunk, duck's back. A dunk's back. A dunk's back. A dunk's dunk back. And it both work. Both are applicable. And they're, it's very wise. Uh, what would you tell someone who's going into the show? Well, I mean, so the two <clears throat> things I would say, like lots of kids come to me nowadays. Lots of kids like say, will you be my drag mom? Which I don't even think they know what that means nowadays. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. right. like, how am I going to be your drag mom when you live in Des Moines yeah, right. or Minneapolis. Des Moines getting a lot of love today. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so I say YouTube, like, I mean, YouTube's great. There's a tutorial for everything. Yes. Nowadays, and there's yes. a lot of queens who love sharing their knowledge and stuff, and that's how they're making their name in the drag But you have scene. to know what question to ask. Well, you can literally just type it in, like, how do I make cleavage? How okay. do I paint on my cleavage? How do I contour my nose? And there's a video for everything, and mm-hmm. Misty Eyes has made most of them. And <laughs> From Florida. Oh, yes, I know Misty yes, Eyes, yes. yes. Yeah. Um, but then what I would also say is you get a lot of queens these days who have raised themselves on the internet and have created their drag through the internet and haven't had a lot of true life drag experience. Now, Which is a problem. I, I mean, it's all relative, but I really think you benefit from kind of crawling through the sludge on your hands and knees for a while. Yep. Because the drag scene, whatever locale you are in, the drag scene is always cutthroat. There's always more drag queens than there are jobs for drag queens. Yeah. And to actually get paid and like make a decent earning doing drag is very difficult. So I started at age 15. I used to lie about my age to get into bars so that I could perform in the shows. I'd make like 10 bucks in tips. Maybe I'd get paid $2.50 per song I did that night, depending mm. on if I was on cast or not, you mm-hmm. know. So I've been, you know, I'm 29 now. I've been doing drag for 14 years. And for a good like eight years of it, it was just horrible. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, I never gave up because I loved it so much. But you've got all the other competition. You've got drag queens just being flat out horrible bitches to you because maybe they're threatened. Maybe they think they're better than you. But all of that prepared me for Drag Race. I don't think I would have had a mental breakdown if I didn't already know how to work with other drag sure. queens, yeah. how to let it roll off my back, how to how to snap back when I need to. You know, the only thing is they edited out a lot of my fighting back on, uh, on Drag Race. You know, there's uh, always We do only have 47 minutes. That's true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's true. Why, well, um, um, we, who were you fighting back with? Well, I never <clears throat> let Coco get away with anything. Because <laughs> uh-huh. everyone thinks it was all about me and Roxy, but sometimes it was really about me and Coco. <laughs> You've never been one to hold your tongue, though. I haven't. Drinks. But sometimes, um, watching the episodes, sometimes it looks like I kind of just take it. I cried once, and they cut it up into multiple tiny segments of me crying. So it looks like I cry every episode. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's smart editing, if you ask me. But I will say this, uh, going back to what you were saying about the YouTube uh, younger baby drag queens that don't have the experience, is that does, in in the real world, I mean, it's beautiful. They're beautiful to look at, you know? And we talk about how these new kids, that's how they learn Mm -hmm. about drag, watching Drag Race and watching YouTube. 
But at the end of the day, when it comes to them and Rue goes through those audition videos through with a with a lice comb. Yeah, yeah. So when they're up there, those are the best of the best. But at the end of the day, they're still presenting a, a an audition tape that they want you, Rue, to see. Mm-hmm. So we don't know what's going to happen when the shit gets real on that main stage. Well, yeah. and then you see that you haven't had that experience right. to go through all that to get you to win in that moment. Yes. Do you know what I'm saying? I do. And and you know, it's the grit. People have said that. I remember uh, there's a quote from uh, Samuel L. Jackson about rappers who tra- who go into acting and that they, they, they don't have the background or the training to do that work. But it hasn't stopped the actors from doing yeah, it. Right. it just, it's, um, it's what the market will stand. And a lot of our girls, some of very successful girls, are YouTube girls, yes. you know, who, who have now they perform because they've had yeah. those hard, hard knocks now. But, um, you know, I don't know if there's just one way to do it. I do know that li- nobody gets out of this life alive yeah. <laughs> and that life will, uh, uh, you know, I was going to say something really nasty. Don't That's do it. That's the first thing that it. came to my mind. But life will have its way with you. Yeah. No matter what. Yeah. You know. Well, but, and there's nothing wrong. I just want to sidebar. There's nothing wrong there's with nothing that. There's nothing wrong with that. But because that practical experience yes. totally helps. And yeah. and I'm one of the people who actually, I love that drag is becoming for more people. I yeah. think we all benefit from having an open mind about gender. I think we all benefit if we, like, take that chance and, like, put ourselves in the other person's skin for a little while, you know? But I, the best example of someone going on with a ton of real-life experience and then just dominating is Bianca Del Rio. Oh, yeah. She yeah. had, what, like... 60 years of experience before she goes on Drag Race. And she you could not touch her. Right. You couldn't right. get under her skin. Yeah. There wasn't anything she wasn't prepared for. But can for. I add a sidebar? If we did ever do an All-Stars Just the Winners, uh-huh. I wouldn't just say, oh, Bianca's going to dominate. Because you've got people that, like, I don't count you out for a hot minute. Right. And then you've got people like Raja against Violet, who are both major, yeah. major fashion mm-hmm. looks. So I wouldn't ever, in if we ever did that head-to-head winner. Could you winners, imagine? Could you imagine? It's for the blood, bitch. Oh. This, is for the, this is a fucking cage match to the death. Absolutely. Thunderdome. Yeah. I mean, I'll be honest. I said many times, if they ever do a winner's all-stars, I, there's no way I could do it. I couldn't put myself through. Yes, you could. The competition aspect of it again. Then the first episode of All Stars 2, I was like, get me back in there. (laughs) Oh, my God. They look like they're having so much fun. Oh, I can't wait to get back in there. (laughs) Yeah. 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 How would you fare with uh, the girls eliminating each other? Because that was a twist for All Stars 2. I feel like, I mean, my strategy would just be, um, I mean, Let's be honest. I was in the top percentile for eight weeks in a row when I did season five. I would just try to do that again. Yeah. And the way that I did that the first time was really focusing on the challenges. Yeah. But because... would you take out your competition? Right. Because oh. we thought that was what would happen. That's what oh, I would mean... do. Wouldn't that be yeah. what you would do? I, I, I mean. Would you take out the strongest contender? Would you take out who the judges like the least the way these right. girls play? I think it? it would just have to depend on what they said to me that day. What the other queen said to you that yeah, yeah, like, but you all know each other. You guys yeah. are all friends. That's yeah. what made the stakes so much higher. Yeah, but I also I brilliant. feel like because there's not uh, there's probably zero drag race girls that I don't get along with. Like maybe zero. 
Like, I, I mean, like, I've had my beef with some of them, but we all have to, like, be able to work with each other. You never know when you're going to walk in that room and, oh, they're also booked for this event. Sure. That's a great I have attitude. to hang out yeah. with them, you yeah. know? So even if you have beef or whatever, you have to let it go eventually because we're all going to have to, there's the reunions. There's, sure. Yeah. You're always going to run into someone without expecting it. Um, but I have this feeling, like, even though I'm close with all the other winners, we get along great, especially, like, the reunions come around. We all kiki together. We all sit around just loving ourselves because we're the winners, you know. <laughs> I know we would go into that room and everything would drop. All the friends, like me and Sharon, best friends. I know we would go into that room and immediately start going for each other. A hundred percent. She two. would. Yeah. I know that she would play mind games with me, uh -huh. and I know that I would just try to throw the beads and let her trip on her uh -huh. own. <laughs> <laughs> you know? She would go for everybody. Oh that one because she's small. Oh, I think she's I... smart and she is cutthroat, and that's why she. Uh, I mean, like, there is no other queen like Sharon Needles. Right. I mean, there's tons of other spooky queens, there's tons of other shock queens, tons of other queens who will just like say whatever comes to their mind, but none of them do it in that special balance and special ratio. And then you've got Bob <laughs> and Bianca, who are longtime friends, mm -hmm. who are both comedy people. From mm -hmm. New York. From New York. <laughs> Interesting to see how that goes. And then you got Tyra and Bibi. Like, you can't. Be counting any of these motherfuckers it's out. It's true. It's true. I'm, I think you guys have sold me. I think that's what we have to do. Did next. you like the pitch? I love Did the you pitch. Like it? It's yeah. done. Good We're luck with those egos, by the way. I know, right? We're going to take a quick <laughs> break. Ride. We'll be back with more Jinx Monsoon. Girl, I miss, you know, I'm, I'm staying in a hotel, so I'm, I miss my squatty potty. I really can't believe I gotta that. I got to get another one. Yeah, that wasn't on your list. Oh, my goodness. And I want that new clear one, too. Yeah, squatty potty clear. It's gorgeous. And not only is it gorgeous, it goes with everything. It goes with every every toilet that you could possibly, and decor. Every decor. It's, but I will warn you about them. What's, what's that? I constantly, when the lights are out. Trip over it or kick it, forgetting oh, you can't see. Yes, because it. it's 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 perfect. It goes with everything. Just remember, remind yourself that it's there. Yeah. Well, you know what? I I can't forget because it works so well for me every time. I actually look forward to going to the ladies' room because my own ladies' room because of my squatty body. That's yes. why you know I'm staying in a hotel right now because blah 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 yeah, blah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, but I, you know I gotta get me another one. I have to tell you, Rue. Every time somebody comes over and they're like, "What's this?" and they try it, uh -huh. they have to admit that they're pooping. Yes. But then they go, "That was the best." experience I've ever the had. The best poop experience you've ever it had. It changes your life and anybody I turn on to it says the same thing. It's not a bunch of crap. Yeah, well, <laughs> and, and, and simple English, it unkinks your colon exactly so right. that you can eliminate waste so easy. And you've, thoroughly. And thoroughly. You've never eliminated waste until you have really gotten your butt booty into a squatty pot. Correct. And the whole science is back in the day when women used to, when women used to give birth they would do it standing up and just squat, and gravity pulls the baby down. Wait a it, minute. Would they be on the bus? They'd be in fields. Uh -huh. they'd be, and they just, baby comes out. Yeah, yeah. I didn't even know I was pregnant. But exactly. Yeah. A few times I didn't know I was pregnant. <laughs> but with the squatty potty, it's the same idea. The same thing for eliminating. Okay. Back then, that's how they used to eliminate, standing up over a hole in the ground. Okay. Squatty potty is the same idea. You're squatting because what happens when your knees come up, you unkink the colon. Yeah. It's, it's just Physiology. Sure, yeah. It, and it's science, Michelle. That's the word that I was looking it's for. It's science, and Squatty Potty has figured it out. You got to go get you a Squatty Potty. And they have all different colors, all different styles. They're talking about those clears. I have clears in every bathroom I have except the teak. for one. I have the teak And one. I have the teak wood downstairs. Yeah, yeah. It is amazing. They don't just help you squat, though. They sell these brilliant toilet sprays that smell wonderful and an incredible new bidet. The bidets are an incredible... 
incredibly simple to set up. Oh, it sounded like a Biddy Davis, didn't I? You certainly did. Oh, I thought I did that good for the first time. Oh, my goodness. Thank you. It takes 10 minutes of work to install the bidet in almost any toilet. Phenomenal. It costs 38 bucks, and you're clean forever. It's the better way for the environment, reduces waste, literally, and arguably a cleaner experience. Join the movement by visiting squattypotty.com slash rue. Get a free bottle of our favorite fruity booty toilet spray. By the way, just spray that in the toilet before you do your thing. Uh You can't smell a thing. That is outrageous. It is. Love it. Oh, that almost smell like tropical paradise. Oh, my goodness. It's like going on a vacation. Exactly. Right in your own bathroom. It's a free bottle of fruity booty, booty toilet spray with the purchase of $20 or more. Remember, a happy colon is a happy life, and we love Squatty Potty. We are back with Jinx Monsoon, winner of season five, RuPaul's Drag Race. Now, we tell all the girls, pay your taxes. Oh, yeah. You know, <laughs> did you pay your taxes? I absolutely did. I was, I, I have a great tax firm in Seattle. They're a queer tax firm. Uh, I, I don't know if a tax firm can identify as queer, but. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> <there's> a... <laughs> yes, they can. Actually, they put curly cues on the end of all of their. <laughs> Their numbers. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, but a lot of queer people work there, and they work with a lot of queer artists, and they've they've done great by me throughout the years. Are and you good at handling money on your? Because you make a lot of money on the road. I went through a new money phase after I won, um, and I had to. Uh, I still have a healthy amount of my winnings. Uh, I put a lot of it away in savings, and it's still there. It's my rainy day. Um, my rainy day nest egg. Well, she shops but, at Rainbow Shops, so that's yeah. oh, okay. Yeah. Well, there but you I have did, it. But I did, I did go through a like. Uh, oh, it used to annoy my friends when I'd like go through a store and I wouldn't look at the price tags once. I'd just grab uh-huh. anything I liked and yeah. just throw it in a basket. Sure. <laughs> Never yeah. done that ever in my life. Oh, it, it annoyed my friends so much because they're like, just because you don't have to look at the price tags doesn't mean you should. They're right. Yeah. They're yeah. right. <laughs> now, I ask a lot of people here on the podcast about friends and how they navigate friendships after they've become super famous mm-hmm. or make a lot of money. How have you been able to do that? Um, my core group of friends, uh, we're, uh, I'm very, very close with my chosen family in Seattle. And um, the people who have always been my best friends are still my best friends. Um, I'm still really close with them, but they also understand if I'm away. It's kind of like I see people when I'm in the same city as them. And I have to leave so often and I'll spend so much time away. But when I come back, it's kind of like we just pick up where we left off. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they also like they know maybe I might not respond to text messages till like three days later. But the core people who really care about me and who have really meant the most to me are still there. Yeah. And we may not see each other as much as we used to, but our friendships are just as strong. Um, and then, of course, you kind of just realize when you have such limited time for friends and family the auxiliary people, kind of like the acquaintances, those just you kind of have to just let go of the guilt of not being able to maintain a strong friendship with everybody. Mm-hmm. And most people have been very, very understanding. There's only been like a handful of people who are like, you think you're so great now. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> you think you're something, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> but um, I've also gotten to make so many new friends. Um, like I have friends in Amsterdam and London that I've, uh, it's funny because you'll meet people on the road and you realize right away if I lived here and if I got to see you every day, you would just be my best friend because yeah. you just have that instant connection. But then it's the same thing with them. Like I we kind of have to pick up where we left off every last time and 
most of my friends just know not to ask, like, how was the last gig you did? Because it's uh-huh. just going to be the same story right. over and over and over. Every gig kind of bleeds together these days. Yeah, you yeah, show yeah. up. They give you the star dressing room, which is a poured concrete closet that they've cleared out <laughs> for you. Just for uh, you. You can't go out and mingle in the bar. You'll get mobbed. So it's just best for you to sit in a closet by yourself. Yeah. Until you know, you, you do stage. know some of these bars have incredible dressing rooms, like for their queens. Oh, yeah. Like I just did play in, in Louisville, Louisville, Kentucky. Louisville. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I did, just, I did play recently, it's a, too. Like they, they have taken care of these girls so tremendously that mm. they each have their own closet behind their dressing room. They can leave all their drag there. They, their house Workshop said she did designed that dressing room for the queen. It's wow. brilliant. Yeah. And each girl has their own own space. I'm doing the Nashville one this weekend. But it's brilliant. Yeah, that's what confused me because they. I always think. Yeah, they have two. I was about to say, isn't play in Nashville? Yeah, there's yeah. two. So there's, there's Louisville uh-huh. and Nashville. I and see. And all the house queens, brilliant house queens uh-huh. there, uh, Leah and Akasha and funny and smart and they, they Is it our Akasha? Um, not our Akasha uh-huh. uh, a trans Akasha who's so hot you would live mm, for her mm. all this all this mm-hmm. all this uh-huh. and she's so everything she gave me so much life and they even have a boy go-go dancer in their group this boy Michael it's it's just so forward thinking and the way that you would like to see drag progress oh god Porkchop didn't design that one she designed another some other southern city see what I mean they all they're all kind together. of that's, yeah, she's but in, play is where Jay Jolie now works yes Jay Jolie yes. is there right. and they're all what I'm saying is like the way that we were back in those slab of concrete yeah. if we even had a place to go because yeah. when we worked for Suzanne, Suzanne we didn't right. It was kind of like, oh, go back here, get your drink sure. ticket. You know, but now these girls are really valued. They And yeah. some of not all. It's a very small percentage. Sure. But when they do, it makes my heart sing because they're being treated like the artists well, that they are. I mean, Drag Race, like the best thing I think Drag Race has done, it has torn down the stigma around drag queens, even within the queer community, and has finally kind of given us the recognition and the respect that we deserve as the artists that we are. Because I can tell you, starting drag at 15, even just going out to the kitty clubs, you know, meeting other guys my own age, to be a drag queen is like having a scarlet letter. Like, yeah. no, back then it was like, no guy would want to date you if they think that you secretly want to be a woman or mm-hmm. if you dress as a woman. <laughs> you know, true. Like, it used to be like, well, I didn't come out so that I could date a guy who dresses as a woman, you mm-hmm. know? And nowadays, that stigma has been torn down so much because drag is fucking cool like mm-hmm. people love it now and even like your biggest butch tops mm-hmm. do drag mm-hmm. now you because... rang <laughs> 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 and it's, it's just so amazing to see like people actually getting so, like I mean, we're celebrated in a way we never were before they, who knew that Marla Jean Mer- Varla Jean <laughs> Merman was like this oh, Barla Jean Merman says, um, I, I sound like a woman, but I look like a refrigerator. She, <laughs> she is a full, like, stacked muscle bodybuilder. Yeah. Like, she does oh my CrossFit. God. Yeah. And before, you could tell. Before every show, I hope she doesn't mind me. Well, you can see it. She does it just out in the open in Provincetown. But, what does she do? So she goes out, she barks for her show. This is something we all have to do in Provincetown is stand on the corner and desperately try to get people to come see her show. And then Jinx will tweet a picture of her, of her flyer on the ground with a piece of pizza pizza. over it. Remember when I won Drag Race? (laughs) 
<laughs> and you have to bar. You really yeah, yeah, honestly yeah, yeah. only in P Town. Is it because there are so many there's shows? There's so many shows and there's so many parties. Right. So you're trying to convince someone take an hour off of your drinking tonight uh. to come <laughs> see my show, and that's really hard to convince these people sometimes. Yeah. So what does Varla um, do? I threw you off. Varla, well, Varla gets into full drag. Yeah. Um, she's got her wig on. She goes and stands in the bushes. And her assistant will um, hand out her flyers, and then you walk a few feet away from him, and then she's in the bushes going, "Come to my show!" <laughs> like, just out of nowhere. And I think that's brilliant. But then she goes back to her dressing room, gets out of the body, gets out of the um, dress, keeps her wig on, full makeup, full wig, goes out and does pull-ups. Really? <laughs> oh my god! Goes out and does deadlifts, and but she's for just what? in her tights. She's just uh-huh. in her tights and uh-huh. hip pads uh-huh. and her little like Crocs or whatever, uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> because she Crocs? climbs. <laughs> really? <laughs> she climbs rope in her shows and stuff, oh. and she does feats of physical strength in her shows. So she's got to warm up. So here is Barla Jean Merman. Furry chest, you know, big barrel chested man, little polite red wig on, That's full hilarious. makeup, hip pads, doing deadlifts yeah. in the back of the theater. Yeah. It's so much fun. But oh. Growing up, Rue, for us, we've talked about this before, but I remember really vividly hanging out on the piers, and it was, you know, who hung out on the piers. Mm-hmm. It was all, you know, Nelly kids and trans people. Mm-hmm. And um, what I noticed the most amongst those times working together back then was. And I observed, I was a hardcore observer, that the drag queens were an even more marginalized section of the gay community, made fun of and kind of like brushed aside. Well, but only by, this is the thing, we, everybody has a status quo and, a, and a, a, there's a hierarchy of how you get what humans want in this world. What humans want in this world is they want validation, they want sex, they want uh, people to they want people to like them, right? That's everybody, okay? Right, so uh, for gay kids who, um, so for women, so for women, they want a husband, and uh, men want a piece of ass. And there's this cycle, there's this hierarchy. So for gay people, already ostracized, um, you know, if you were straight, a straight looking or straight acting gay man who could fit into the stereotypical passable, passable yeah. or, in, or if you could fit into the sexual fantasy of you're a, a twink or you're a top or you you look a certain way, then you, you know, you're the hierarchy, you're in the top of the hierarchy of gay culture. Now, for us drag queens, we knew we couldn't work that angle. So we thought, you know what, screw it. I'm just going to, I'm going to have fun. And there is a certain, there's a certain value that the community would have for that reason. But you don't think you were going to cross over into our sexual uh, vernacular because there was no place for you. You so know what I mean? So it came down to sex, really. It always comes down because that's yeah. what humans want. We want to get laid, and we want, and women want to get laid, and they want security. Probably security first, right? You know, because so, I would look back and watch and go, "Well, why are you brushed like?" Flippant, like saying, oh, she's just drag queen. Yeah. But like, well, just a drag because queen. Because the value system is what I just described. Yeah. The value system is based on that. Now, uh, Jinx is saying that that has shifted a little bit because people have more respect for the art of drag. Correct. But honey, I'm telling you, if it, it could revert back to that the caveman oh, thing One, two, immediately yeah. because it's in our DNA to focus on that, that, mm-hmm. that, that currency. And trying to figure out where that fits in and it doesn't fit in. To yeah. the it's, average person, even gay person's brain. Absolutely. Well, absolutely. It. And there was also, I mean, I've also been told by, you know, the intellectual types, like all you drag queens do is talk about coke and dicks and butts and stuff. And you're holding our community back. 
And really? Yeah, people saying that like we we um, uh, perpetuate the most negative aspects of our community. And I'm like, well, you know what? Who's going to have the balls to go out there and say the kind of shit that drag queens say in defense of our community? Like, we may do all these things that are totally ridiculous, and we may, like, talk about sex and, you know, base conversation topics and stuff and make it seem like that's all we care about. But also, as soon as the battle begins, who's at Absolutely. the front of the line? Absolutely. Oh, for sure. And I've said this for years, too. You know, drag queens, our, our role in culture, whether it be, you know, a 100 years ago, 200 years ago, as a shaman or a witch doctor or a court jester, was to remind the culture to not take itself too seriously. Mm -hmm. And the way that we use humor and we talk about coke or flipping about, you know, politics or whatever, is it is actually a political move. Mm -hmm. It's to remind people that none of this is important. you got to understand, too, that we were the little boys who didn't fit into any of that hierarchy, Mm -hmm. whether it was the straight hierarchy or the gay hierarchy. Um, so our role was to make fun of it, poke fun of yeah. it, because we all we never we couldn't take it too seriously. If we took that hierarchy seriously, we would be devastated yeah. because we could never ever fit in. That makes so much more sense because if you say just what you just said now, think about it. In the trans world, there's an agenda. They are mm-hmm. doing what they're doing. There's an agenda. Even in the gay, just straight up homosexual agenda. There's, you know, and I'm not saying it in a negative way. I'm no, saying, I got it. Yeah. yeah. But then in the drag world, there is no agenda because you're making fun of <laughs> yes, the, the agenda. agenda. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. We are making fun of the agenda. And that's why certain people who take themselves very seriously or who want to be seen mm-hmm. by straight people as we're pay, tax paying people, we're, reg, we're regular people too. Yeah, yeah. Those people don't get it. They're still caught up in that, that scene of trying to fit in. I never wanted to fit in. I don't want to yeah. fit in. I've seen it. I've I'd studied rather it. I'd rather boogie than <laughs> fit in. Yes. Well, yes. Normativity is just so toxic for queer people, for straight people. What word did you use? Some what? Heteronormativity. Uh. Yeah. But because because it's the it it's talks the like idea. if you take it too seriously and well, the ideology well, ideology of it. Yeah, well, it's the idea that to be successful in this life, your life has to look a certain way. Right, and then. The queer community has adopted it, too, because now that we're able to get married and now that it's easier for us to adopt children, it's easier for us to now resemble the straight community. Mm -hmm, It's mm -hmm. easier for us to live a heteronormative life. But it's like the idea that anyone's telling you how your life is supposed to look like, that's problematic. Just at the beginning of the day, there's no reason why you should, like, worry about what some designated idea of how your life should look you know, that shouldn't dominate your life because then you're missing out on yeah. <laughs> the small oh, amount of exactly. time you have on this yeah. planet. And the natural the natural evolution uh, and that journey that your your life takes. You know, it's interesting how, and actually what you're describing is what it, it's exactly what it is in Orwell's Animal Farm, how mm-hmm. they have a revolution and the, um, uh, the pigs uh, at one point say, we will never stand on two feet. Well, they change that amendment yeah. later and say, <laughs> no, I think it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> to fit into the status quo. But that's what happens to all these big organizations that start as with a great cause. I'm not going to name any names, but all of these, you know, they grow into these huge organizations and they turn into the exact thing that they're fighting yeah. against. You are correct. They lose the basis of what they started on. Yes. Yeah. It, and it's just, it's unfortunate. But, uh, 
you know, but that's the role of, of, of drag or the court gesture or any of the people who, who's, who make fun of the status mm -hmm. quo. We are a, a huge, uh, important part of this. There's a movie um, uh, uh, with Joel McRae called Sullivan's Travels. It's um, Preston Sturges, and it's about a big famous um, movie director in Hollywood. This is and uh, Veronica Blake is in it, and Gorgeous. it's uh, in the 30s. Take place in the 30s, I believe. Yeah, during the Great Depression, and he's this big, huge comedy director. Think, um, I don't know, uh, 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 Apto, Jod Apto, yes. Um, uh, uh, and he decides, you know what? What I do is frivolous. I'm going to go out and see how the real humans live and see what it's like. He goes out there, and it is exactly it. It's horrible. He ends up in a uh, chain gang. And at once a month on Sunday, they show a movie mm -hmm. and it's it's drudgery. It's terrible. And they pan across the uh, the prisoners faces as the, the movie screen lights up. And of course, it's Steamboat Willie and the faces <laughs> they make. They become so happy and he's looking around realizing I get it. What I do is really important. You know, all these people, um, you know, just serious things are great. That's great. But laughter and lightness has huge value. And if you haven't seen this movie, you should see it. Um, did I explain it right? Yeah, and he yes, ultimately yeah, realizes yeah. that it's the lightness. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, we've got Jinx Monsoon. We're going to take a quick break, but we'll be right back. After this, girl, I, you know, I just love this part of the show when we get to the Squarespace section of our program and we get to read. Well, you get to read all of the emails <laughs> yes. from the kids who make their, their Squarespace sidebar before we get to the letter. Uh -huh. We put a lot of heart and soul into our podcast. Yeah. We live truths. We tell everybody we try to live our better lives, yeah. help them. And what do they quote the most? Mm. Our Squarespace ads. You Really? Our Squarespace ads get the most love. On the Twitters. Well, yeah, and you know why that is? Because we love Squarespace. Yes. Squarespace is a great, great and website. We're idiots. And because we're idiots. Yeah. But listen, this is the 21st century. Ain't nobody going to have to be going to a webmaster to no. make a website, you know? I have to call you what? What? And I have to pay you what? No. No, no, no. That's not how it works over at squarespace.com slash rue. No. And baby, I do have a letter. So uh, we love all your letters. Keep them coming in about your Squarespace site and we'll check them out. Uh, RuPaulPodcast at gmail.com is the email. This one says, Dear Rue and Michelle, thank you for creating our favorite podcast, which has joined us on long journeys and been listened to around our apartment by my girlfriend, writing partner, soulmate. Aw. It also brought us to Squarespace, which led us to uh, create our website for our filmmaking called Organized Chaos Films. That's a great name. Organized Ooh. with an S, which is the British British spelling. Mm -hmm. Organizedchaosfilms.com. I'm not the best at online stuff, so it being super easy to use meant that we could finally showcase our work professionally. So we can't thank you enough for that. It's also moved me towards my next filmmaking adventure in the world of drag. And that's from Mike and Amy. That is lovely. I can't wait to see the film. Me I too. I can't wait to see the website either. No, it's just that simple. Yes. And if you're a creative person, you really do need a place where other people can find your work. Show it off. Show it off. Yeah. And also, you know, it, rather than you know sending out you know a business card you could just tell people where your website is my, and you give it a business card cell phone numbers are so passe it's so tiny it's has a website totally like, passe and it's Squarespace yeah <laughs> <laughs> we got so caught no, up in that it's simple just go to your website yes you know? when you're ready to purchase a plan at squarespace.com get 10% off with the offer code RU that's squarespace.com offer code RU 
We are back with Jinx Monsoon, winner of season five. My goodness, I you people always ask me how I would do in a competition reality. <laughs> how do you show think like, you do on RuPaul's Drag Race? I can tell you in um, uh, a few words. I would win. <laughs> yeah, but that would be hard because I would win too. <laughs> you better believe I'd be able to sew a gown in two seconds flat. Well, you know, it's 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 the sewing, it's the diplomacy, also, it's uh, knowing how to compete. Oh, you there's know? Yeah. there's a game to be played. There is a game to be played. Now, now, of course, people. And let me just tell you one of my favorite moments from your uh, from your season. I think maybe my favorite moment when I think back on it, because there's you know we have all these. Uh, gifts of the show mm -hmm. is at one point you and I danced on the Soul Train line, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it was so funny because you know when you dance, I, I love to dance. Um, when you dance with someone and you have a language immediately, yeah. you have a language. You go, oh, I, I well, I know what you're doing. Yeah, yeah. How about how about this? Yeah. And you go, oh, well, how about this? Uh -huh. And it was one of those. And because I love, I've always loved to dance. Mm -hmm. It, it is the, the thing that just. It's my favorite mo moment from that show. Was it in in the? It was in a finale? mini challenge. Yeah, oh yeah. Challenge. Oh, I remember. Was and it the old lady one? No, oh, no. that was no. another season. Jesus that Lord. was similar. It was the Soul Train challenge, and it was gearing up for. Um, I won, and Coco won, and then we became team captains for the ballet challenge. Ah, uh, and I wear a big afro. Yeah. Oh, okay, 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 okay. Yes, and now a big orange yeah. rust suit. <laughs> you wear everything orange. It's hard to remember. I know yeah. exactly. Well, I can tell you. Because, you, I mean, I know you have eyes everywhere. You have eyes and ears uh -huh. everywhere. But um, those little tiny moments, any moment where one of us has that special little, like, that just a momentary connection with you. Uh -huh. And then you leave the room and then it's just the competitors left behind. It's all like, did you see? <laughs> did you see that she danced with me? Rue and I danced together. I don't think Rue danced with you just now. <laughs> you know, well, you know, a lot of times uh, my fellow producers will say, uh-uh-uh, you, you can see in your eyes that there are certain ones that I... That I'm excited to talk yeah, to, yeah, you yeah. know, and I have to go. Okay, bring it down because I am the neutral. I have to play a yeah, certain yeah. role. But there, um, I always, I've always, was always excited to talk to you because you know what, <laughs> you're very smart and you're very aware. You're very present of what's happening and you're very wise. Now, you also, um, you talked about family stuff on mm -hmm. the show. How has that panned out? I know that you were raised by your grandmother and that you were you yeah. were estranged from your well, biological would, mother. No, I wasn't estranged from my biological mother, but we did. I mean, it was just a tumultuous relationship. And so the whole time that I lived with my mom, I also kind of lived with my grandma. I was like 50-50 back and forth. Um, my mom had her own house, but we spent every day after school at my grandma's. And I would spend most weekends there. And And then there was a point when... It was just too tense between me and my mom, and I had to move out, and I moved in with my grandma. And I spent the rest of my high school years with my grandma. And it was it was a situation of my mom having kids too young um, on her own, you know, like uh, uh, both of me, uh, my brothers, um, we have two different fathers between the three of us. Oh, that sounds like and, math. And <laughs> Wait a minute. Okay. Two, the brothers? How many brothers yeah. are there? I've got two younger brothers. Yeah. Um, and a younger sister, um, she, <laughs> my younger sister was raised with my stepmom. Um, me and my brothers were raised together. The middle one has the same dad as me. The mm -hmm. youngest one has a different father. Mm -hmm. And neither fathers were present. Mm -hmm. So it was my mom doing it on her own. 
doing it too young. Um, and just, you know, she, she, my mom didn't take enough time to take care of herself mm-hmm. to then also be responsible sure. for. And um, it was kind of like, even though there was so much tension between us and stuff, no, nothing was ever talked about in the open. Mm. Like nothing was ever just spoken plainly. It was all just kind of like we tiptoed around all these issues. That was my whole family. Like my family was built on family secrets, basically. Mm-hmm. So it was like one person might know what's going on and we're keeping it from another person. And then mm-hmm. this person knows something and the rest of the family can't know, you know. Mm-hmm. So it was stuff like that my whole life. And Drag Race, it just kind of came out all in the open for mm-hmm. the first time ever where it was like there was no hiding behind any language. It was just like my mom dealt with alcoholism. It caused a huge upset for my formative years. But like my mom literally since that episode of Drag Race aired has just been on this path of trying to kind of you know, just trying to change her story and change mm-hmm. her relationship with me and my brothers and stuff. And that's not to say my mom hasn't worked hard her whole life. She mm-hmm. put herself through trade school so that she could get a job as a paralegal to be able to have enough money to raise her kids. But that also put more strain on her, which also just exacerbated the issues she was dealing with. So, um, but nowadays, you know, my family's super close. It, we, we were really um, disparate when I went on Drag Race. Mm-hmm. Like, Almost no one in my family was talking to each other. Mm. So I didn't even feel like I had that unified family that I was raised with. Um, you and- felt alone. Like to me, do you remember when I went in for you in the workroom and I went to talk to them and I didn't, I wasn't getting the Jinx Monsoon thing at all. It wasn't that far in. Mm-hmm. And then I remember coming back and telling you, sitting next to you, and I went, I get it now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> After I got to have one-on-one time with her, which they didn't show, and I found that was interesting. Remember, you were the only one that they yeah. didn't show the art talk. And it's because I think they, we they were saw the connection along too well. It was just very – it was the first time I talked to you, first because I don't get to meet you, talk to you, know you, anything. Yeah. But it was when I came out and I went, oh, I get it now. Because you do get to spend – obviously, it's your show. You get to spend the time with them. And on the main stage, there was charmingness, but I wasn't getting the full story. Mm-hmm. And then when I talked to her, I only must only talk to you for five minutes. Mm-hmm. And it made complete sense, uh-huh. all of it. And now adding this backstory, which you know we only got a little piece of on the show, um, it makes even more sense. Because you were basically alone besides your really good friends, you know, your chosen. Yeah. Well, I mean, well, I didn't really find my tribe until high school. Um, I mean, I, I had a good time in middle school. I went to an arts magnet middle school, so it was more open-minded kids that I was going to mm-hmm. school with, more open-minded teachers. Elementary school was just hell on yeah. earth for me. I mean, I, I have never fit in as a boy. Like, mm-hmm. I have been effeminate my entire life. Mm. And... To put any kind of nature versus nurture stuff to shame, like my younger brother is the butchest boy Uh in the world, Uh and we were both just raised by a tribe of women. Uh It was just in my nature, and it's always been a part of my nature. My family very much let me express that, but they also forewarned me that, like, even though you can do this at home, you can wear dresses and you can um, play with your Barbies at home, to do that in the outside world is going to be very dangerous, you know? So I was always raised, even though I was encouraged to be myself, I was also raised with this idea that, like, to be myself in public and to be myself around other people is 
shameful and dangerous, right, you know, and right. that wasn't their intention, but that's, you know, kind of how it all boils down. So um, I spent, I was very bad at trying to be a typical boy and uh-huh. I really tried. And in my mind, I really thought I was doing it, but I look back, I'm like, how many other seven-year-olds do you know wearing a beret? You yeah, know? Yeah. <laughs> like... Oh, my God. I'm just imagining you as a little boy. And I'm thinking, oh, God, I would, I would, lo- I would love to have a little effeminate <laughs> boy. Yeah. I would just love I mean, it. I would go to school and I'd be quoting Death Becomes Sir oh at my age eight. God. <laughs> now, morning? Exactly. Right. Um, now, tell me this. When did the narcolepsy develop? That was... Um, Sophomore or junior year of high school. Wait a minute. Sophomore or junior year? That's 11th grade. 10th yeah. or 11th. Uh. So I must have been about like 14 or 15. Yeah. And um, that's about, it's around puberty that if you have the chemical imbalance, which allows you to have narcolepsy, normally around puberty or any time where you could like have exacerbated situations. <laughs> that's an word. amalgamation. Yes, yes. yes. Um, Heightened, heightened Heightened stress, heightened emotion. So, um, uh, yeah, it was just like all of a sudden I I could not stay awake. I couldn't go an entire day without taking a nap. And so I had my ways of taking naps during school. Like I, I was in choir class and there was like, 70 kids in this choir class. We were a huge, huge choir. Yeah. And I would find ways to sneak off behind the little... Um, uh-huh. Behind the, behind the alto section. The, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, And I would just sleep for like 20 minutes of the class on block days or something where we'd have a two-hour class. Yeah. How does one know? <laughs> I had to see a doctor and then I, had to, I saw a sleep specialist when I was um, 19. And it's all about they have to monitor your brain while you're sleeping because what causes the the fa- chronic fatigue is that when you go to sleep, you never stop dreaming, and you never fall into that deepest uh-huh. cycle of sleep, where, where you're sleep, just yeah. completely blank and you're yeah. just there recuperating. So you could sleep for eight hours, but your mind stays active the whole time, and that's why you wake up and you feel tired still. Right. I, I like I can wake up from ten hours of sleep and I feel exhausted still today. Yeah, I mean. The symptoms have definitely decreased now that I live a little bit more of a life of leisure. You yeah. know, I also like when I'm working, I get to sleep all day, mm-hmm. wake up when it's time to get ready for drag, and I just store up all my energy. And I like put it all out there on stage. Mm-hmm. Like I expel every last ounce of energy doing my job. Yes. As you said yeah. that, I would imagine you doing the uh, Ema Sumac number. Yeah. That's, <laughs> wow, wow, wow. that's the first thought when I when you said that, that's the first thing that came to she my does. mind. She does. We on tour. We did the snatch game and I always know there's two that I can always count on to give 120% and it's her and Sharon. Yeah. So I know that those are the two that I can go to. There's the other girls are great too, but yeah. those two are giving every ounce of soul left in their bodies. And yeah. she has done everything. And even when it's not working with shit, <laughs> Betty Davis or whatever, or, uh. or Dietrich and people weren't getting it, she was still giving completely. When she does Liza, I think she almost broke her ankle one night, flopping herself doing it. Remember that night when you fell? So just the full amount, she is a true theater kid in that aspect. Well, and our audiences are so young these days, and those touring shows we do are generally all ages, or maybe like 13 plus or something. So they don't know who Liza is. They don't know who Liza, they have a better chance with Liza, but like Betty Davis, no one knew that. So I was so committed to doing Betty Davis that I had to just find a way to make her funny uh, to anyone who so, doesn't even know she's just made who fun she of me. is. So I just made fun of Michelle the yes. whole time as Betty Davis. 
And it's kind yeah. of how I got away. Are a slut. Yeah. <laughs> well, when you talk. When they, when you go to the makeup counter, they beat a face with whatever they put on you. <laughs> <laughs> well, yep. you taught a whole generation about uh, little, little Edie. Yeah, and I, I mean, like, I kind of used the same mentality with that. Like, what's the funniest things about her? That you don't have to know who she is and yeah. you don't have to have followed her your whole life to find that very entertaining. Because the first time I watched Grey Gardens, I didn't know the whole backstory. I knew vaguely, like, the backstory. I was about 19 the first time I saw it. And I remember just being like, this is insane and I love it so much. Did you have, <laughs> did a drag mother or a men- gay mentor teach you about that? It was another, um, it was another queen that I worked with. And what happened is um, the musical had just come out. Uh-huh, with uh, Ebersol. Um, Christine yeah. Ebersol. Yeah. And she was like, you have to do um, Little Edie from this musical. Because I was the Broadway queen, and I always sang songs live and did Broadway numbers and stuff at these shows. And she showed me the video of the revolutionary costume. And I had no context for it. All I knew is that Christine Ebersol was doing something amazing. Mm-hmm. And so first I got into the musical. Then because I got into the soundtrack of the musical, um, I had to watch the movie. Then I watched the Drew Barrymore film. Uh-huh. So you got into the musical first? I got into the musical first, but I didn't get to see the musical. I just listened to the soundtrack. Which isn't and I loved- that great. I love the sound. You do? I think, I think it's okay. It doesn't suck. <laughs> there, I mean, they changed the. I listened to the off Broadway soundtrack, which I actually like better than the Broadway soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Who's in the off Broadway? It was still Christine Ebersol and Mary Louise Wilson, um, but I think they, I think they took everyone from off Broadway to Broadway except for the girl playing Little Edie in. Um, Young little yeah, lady, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Baby little lady. Baby little 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 lady. Little, little lady. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now you mentioned that you, of course, you did. You win that uh, snatch game doing yeah, little lady. Yeah. Um, now you you mentioned getting the essence of someone uh, for a snatch game. Um, how do you describe that to someone? Because either you get snatch game or you don't. Now, for those of you mm-hmm. who don't know, we do a takeoff on. TV's match game, we call it snatch game, where the girls have to choose, pick a celebrity and then impersonate them and and then riff with me uh, to say something funny. You know, what's the key to that? That's the riffing. I think that's because you can memorize every quote. I mean, we saw Alyssa Edwards memorize every Joan Crawford (laughs) quote and just rattle them off rapid fire in succession and then blew her load. Ze- with zero context <laughs> zero rationale and that works but what really it like, only works if you're Alyssa yeah. honestly but what really um, sets you apart in Snatch Game is the ability to improv as that character yeah. and to make Rue laugh yeah and so I think you know the downfall is when queens just do oh, who can I look like? Right. Or who can I sound like? But you also have to love the person so much. You have to love the person so much that you know maybe like you have ideas of how they would handle the situation. Yes. And they have to become them. Then you also, them. you have to become them, but then you also have to not love them so much that you can't take the piss exactly. out of them. You know, because then the girls who revere the queen that they're impersonating too much, then there's no, there's nothing funny because they're scared of... What if Beyonce sees this and she thinks that I don't like her? And really (laughs) choosing the right one that has... Listen, Beyonce is amazing. She's an amazing performer. But when she speaks, she's just a regular girl. How are you going to take the piss out of her? Yes. You know what I mean? Certain people like that. Like when Detox did Kesha, it was like... "Mm." Well, yeah. And I would just say, I mean, watch SNL because 
it's all about finding that one thing mm-hmm. that you can exploit and you can mine and mine and mine. And like, if you can find one funny thing about a person, yeah. yes, you can carry a whole scene doing that person. But it's got to be obvious because otherwise. Yeah. People aren't going to get it. No. And I think the best thing, I mean, the best characters for Snatch Game, you got to find someone who has a very distinct voice. Yeah. Because, like, how could I impersonate Meryl, you know, unless I impersonated one of her characters? Yes, right. exactly. Meryl has a very clear yes. voice and a clear speaking voice. And I bet I could find something funny about her, but it's going to be so much harder than if I take, like, Jennifer Tilly. And I'm like... Oh, hi, Ruth. <laughs> I'm so happy to be here. <laughs> <laughs> but it was perfect, like Adora Delano did with Anna Nicole Smith. Yes, yeah. yes. Because yeah. she could have, she could have gone the wrong she, way. She could go, well, she could have done a whole monologue as Anna. Oh, That's true. Was, oh my she god, was so true. amazing. True. It so was brilliant. like she, it was like she, she was channeling her that she day. Was. Yeah. <laughs> well, Jinxie, you are just fabulous. Uh, so so happy that you've got to do our podcast, <laughs> and I'm sure there's so many great successes uh, ahead of you yeah, because you're a it. true talent mm-hmm. and uh, it's, it, this is the most time we've ever spent in one room together is right? it really? <laughs> really? How about I'll never that? forget it <laughs> Well, She's my, had too much time with me. Well, it's, so we'll have to have you back on the podcast. Oh, You're really to. fun to talk to. <laughs> I'm going to show Rue. It's a since it's visual. I'll wait till we're till the podcast. Is okay. Done. All right. Well, and so where can people find you? Uh, there's there a jinxmonsoon.com. Is yes, there an it, album you want to talk about? Jinxmonsoon.com. Um, what about how do you the spell your snack? jinx? Um, it's J-I-N-K-X, and you have to use the K because I paid extra for it. Oh, okay. And uh, so jinxmonsoon.com. Um, the Ginger Snapped is my new album, which will be coming out. Um, we hope to have the first couple singles I coming out. I that title. Thank you. Um, uh, late May, early, um, early June. Uh, that's when the singles will be coming out. Hopefully by the end of June or beginning of July, the album will be out. Um, we raised twenty thousand dollars on Kickstarter. Oh boy! Um, I put all of my own money into the studio work and all that stuff, but we raised the money to do the post production stuff mm-hmm. because I really want this to be very special. It's a '90s garage band throwback album. Wow! <laughs> it's a huge departure from my last album, which was all cabaret and show tunes inspired. But yeah. this one's more. Um, more uh, Seattle grungy, you know. Oh, I can't wait! <laughs> it's to the hear music that. you wouldn't have expected That's me great. to do. Great, the ginger um, snapped. The ginger snapped. And then I'll be in Provincetown this summer, and I'll be touring the UK with Peaches Christ in the fall. And um, I uh, I think it's about to be announced, but we are bringing back the Vaudevillians again for a UK tour. Um, the we, original, the original, okay. yeah. Uh, we we did it in London last year to huge success. So now we're taking it on the road through the UK, and I'm very excited about that. I <laughs> love it. I love well, great success with that, and uh, can't wait to see it all. And Michelle Vassal, my darling, 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 darling. Until next time. Yes. Bye. Bye. Can I get an amen? Love yourself, how in the hell you're gonna love somebody else? Can I get a name, man? And don't forget to subscribe on iTunes. If you can't love yourself, how in the hell you're gonna love somebody else? Amen. Hey, hey,